Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Tonight, we're walking from, from, from the resurrection to to Pentecost. That's what we're doing here. This is a, a series we're calling Eastertide, which is that season from resurrection to Pentecost. And today we get to wrap up Luke and go right into the book of Acts. Luke wrote both of these. And so in this one, we get that classic, we, we kind of started with it last week, but that classic missions text, the Great Commission there in Luke 24. And then we get it again here in uh, Acts 1. These are parallel passages, all right? And so that's where we're going to be tonight. And I was thinking as I was, as I was, um, as I was thinking through this, it hit me like we see stories, we see Bible stories, but sometimes it's really neat. Like last week when I talked about French Polynesia, you know, if you were here last week with us, you know, if you, if you put your finger on Jerusalem on the globe and go to the exact other side, that is French Polynesia, which is an island in the South Pacific. That is the farthest point from Jerusalem on planet Earth, all right, like 11,000 miles. And what I said last week is that 94% of the people on French Polynesia are Christians. And so the gospel has went to the ends of the earth. But there are some great stories to be told. And not all of you know this. Maybe, it's, maybe some of you know it. Maybe even a lot of you know it. But not all of you know it. We sort of have uh, in our church here sort of a missions historian. Or maybe we could say a missions enthusiast as far as that goes. And, and that's Shannon Yule. And so um, I'm going to speak for a, for a while about half of our time tonight. And then I'm going to turn it over to Shannon, and I've asked Shannon to do this, Shannon. Share with us stories of how God is still doing this, all right? And he's got some great stories, and he's just kind of come and testify and share some of those stories as we get into it. But as we continue in our Eastertide series, one of the things that preachers love to say while preaching is, can I get a witness? <laughs> That's one of the things that, that a lot of preachers, they like to say, oh, oh, you can't run with the devil and walk with Jesus. Can I get a witness? Or uh, the fact that there's a highway to hell and only a stairway to heaven says a lot about the anticipated traffic numbers. Can I get a witness? <laughs> God wants spiritual fruit, not spiritual nuts <laughs> or religious nuts. Can I get a witness? And here's another one, just you know, sort of a funny saying that, that we, of course, you can follow up with. Uh, I read the forecast for tomorrow. It says God reigns and the sun shines. Can I get a witness? So a lot of preachers, they, they love to say that. Can I get a witness? In other words, is there anybody who would stand up in one sense and testify to what I've just said as the truth? Is there anybody who would agree and stand up and testify that what I've just said is the truth? You see, that's what a witness does. A witness testifies to the truth of something. In the court of law, we see this. A witness tells the truth of what they saw. And here at the end of Luke, and at the beginning of Acts, Jesus says that you and I are to be his witnesses to the ends. To the ends of the earth and to the end of time. Right? To the ends of the earth and to the end of time. What we actually have here are parallel passages. Luke is the author of both of these, Dr. Luke. He's the author of both of these. Um, and so they're telling about the same instances, but from different perspectives and with more or less detail, all right? But the calling on our lives is the same in both of these, which brings us to tonight's takeaway. And here it is, guys. 
Here's tonight, here's, what's God, here's, here's what God is calling you and me to do from this text, I believe. And that is to proclaim the gospel from here to the ends of the earth until the end of the age. Proclaim the good news or the gospel from here to the ends of the earth until the end of the age. So let's go to Luke 24. We're going to begin in the 45th verse. I know we covered that last week, but I want to bring it in so you can see the parallel here between Luke 24 and Acts 1. Beginning in the 45th verse, it says, Then he, that's, that's Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, that's the disciples, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses to these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now let's skip over to Acts chapter 1, and we'll read through the 11th verse, actually. I may have the 10th on the screen, but I meant to have the 11th. 1 through 11 in Acts 1. Parallel passage here. Luke begins at the beginning a lot like he did in, in Luke chapter 1. But in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. He's talking about the book of Luke here. Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering. That's what we just read about. By many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, he asked them, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood in robes of white and said... Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So you can see from these texts, parallel texts here, proclaim the gospel from here to the ends of the earth until the end of the age. And so with this imperative on our life, our text here has three things to help bring about that result, all right? So let's pray together, and then we're going get, to get into this, the three things that you and I have to help us to do this, all right? Let's pray. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we're just going to pause for a moment and recognize your presence and lordship over all of our lives. You are our Lord. Yes, you're our Savior, but you're also our Lord. And so, God, we do what you tell us to do. And you've told us here in the text that we're going to be witnesses, that we're going to proclaim the good news. And so God, help us to do that. Help us to understand that in a greater way tonight, in a more practical way even. 
And Father, this is a passage probably that we hear a lot or we've heard a lot. It's, it's, it's really a passage that we know well. But God, it's not always a passage that we live out well. And so help us to do that in Jesus' name. And God, if there's anybody here who's never turned and trusted Jesus, we pray that tonight, through the preaching of the message of talking about telling people about Jesus, I pray that someone here tonight that needs Jesus would hear the Holy Spirit call them and they would say yes and would be saved even tonight, Lord. They can be saved if they'll only turn and trust in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So three things that you and I have tonight to help us to proclaim the gospel from here to the ends of the earth until the end of the age. First, know that you have marching orders. Right? I mean, guys, listen, Jesus, he's not beating around the bush here. He isn't, you know, he's not speaking in riddles. He's not speaking in parables. He's being as straightforward as possible. You and I are witnesses to testify to the whole world. Again, look at Luke 24, 46 through 48. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And then the parallel right there in, in Acts 1.8. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So both passages here, it, it, make it, it makes it clear to you and to me that we're to tell the world what God has done in Jesus Christ and how faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, how that brings about salvation from Jerusalem to the nations, our marching orders. And with each locality, as you've heard so many times over the years, the circle gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, right? It's kind of like from your city to your nation to your neighboring nation, to the faraway nations at the end of the earth. And we've been called to impact all four of those regions in some way. Now, not all of us go to all of those regions, but we've been called to impact them all over the world. But I, I just need you, I, I want to stop here for just a moment, though, and kind of just dig in for just a moment. There is certainly one that you've been called to impact the most. The truth of the matter is, again, not all of us are able to go to China or, or, or Peru or you just name the nation. But here's the deal. Every single one of us have been called to our Jerusalem because that's where God has planted you. That's where you are. And listen, you, you may say, well, I'm just here because this is where I am. You're not here by chance. Like God has you here for the purpose to reach this community for Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we ignore the nations until this community is reached. We don't ignore the nations. But it does mean that we shine as brightly as we can here. And if we'll do that, then that means that our impact on foreign missions will be greater, right? That old C.T. Stud, missionary C.T. Stud, that, that quote that is so good. The light that shines the farthest shines the brightest, nearest home. So that's what we got to do, guys. We got to reach our Jerusalem. We, uh, we're going to reach the world, but if we're really going to do that, then we've got to shine brightly in our Jerusalem. And so as you witness, you share your testimony. Your testimony is powerful. How God saved you. Anybody can tell, like, you can tell your story. But always remember, guys, your testimony is not the gospel. 
it points to the gospel. It, it authenticates the power and the truth of the gospel in some sense. But you've got to share the gospel too. And, and here it is, just really simple. Here is the good news of Jesus Christ that you can share with people. And, and, and you've got to find a way to do it in a loving way, a winsome way, in the right way. But here are the three parts of the gospel that we need to share. All people are sinners destined for hell. Jesus came to save sinners from hell. And all who will turn from sin and trust in Jesus will be saved from hell and will go to heaven. Like that's simple, right? I could pull my six-year-old in here and he could say that easily. And so you and I, we really have a simple message. He's not called us to testify to rocket science, okay? It's simple things. And, And we all have the power to say this. And listen, you don't even have to... It, you don't even have to get an argument with somebody. Just say, this is what I believe God word, God's word says. You're, you're, a, you're a witness, not an arguer. <laughs> so be a witness. Share the gospel along with your testimony. You're just somebody who's been saved, telling somebody else how to be saved. Witness from here to the ends of the earth. But second tonight, what do you have? You have an indweller and you have an intercessor. And we kind of talked about this last week some, but notice what Jesus promised. Luke 24, 49. Luke 24, 49. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Parallel passage, go over to Acts 1, 4 and 5. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And skip to verse 8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come up on you. Here's the truth, though, guys. The Holy Spirit doesn't just get on us. He gets in us, right? The Holy Spirit indwells us, empowering us. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And so as you say, I don't know if I have the strength to be a witness. Yeah, you do. And listen, I promise you, I promise you, God will not leave you to yourself. He will empower you to speak. He's promised over and over again that he will do that. Now, we talked last week about what difference does the Holy Spirit make in our witnessing we listed several things, but the end result was is that the Holy Spirit makes all the difference in the world. You have everything you need in the Holy Spirit to be what God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. But we don't just have an indweller. We also have an intercessor. Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to see here in both texts where he ascends, right? This is the ascension of Jesus. He lived, died, rose again from the grave, ministered for 40 days, and then after those 40 days, he ascended to heaven. Just right there, (laughs) up, all right? And what what does he go to do? Well, the Bible says that he ascended to the right hand of God, and there he is interceding for us. He is not passively watching. He's actively interceding for you. He's praying for you, pleading with the Father, to send the Holy Spirit in a stronger way to do what he's called you to do. That's what an intercessor does. Romans 8, 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Colossians 3, 1, 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So we have an indweller and we have an interceder, an, an, an intercessor. And then finally tonight, as you think about proclaiming the gospel from here to the end of the earth until the end of the age, know that you have a time frame, all right? The time frame here, we see here, he's carried away to heaven here at the end of Luke 24. And then here at the end of Luke 1, 9 through 11, we see that he's carried away, same parallel passage. But notice what it says here in verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, Jesus is coming back. That's the end of this time frame that he's talking about here. That is the end of this age. And we have a mission until then. It doesn't stop. Right? There's not a certain number that we're trying to see saved. We're trying to see everybody we can see saved until Jesus comes back. Because here's the deal. Until Jesus comes back, there is still hope for a lost and dying world to be saved. Now when he comes back, he's not coming back as the, as the humble king. He's coming back as the conquering king. And you can read Luke uh, you, you can read Matthew 24. Um, you can read the book of Revelation. He's not, it's not going to be pretty when he comes back. He's going to come back and he's going to bring justice. Not grace and mercy. He's going to bring justice. But until then, there is grace and mercy for everyone who will hear the good news of Jesus Christ and turn and trust in him. So you've got a time frame until Jesus returns. So may the gospel continually go forth my final prayer, until the consummation of redemption. Now, God has been doing some amazing things, and you've heard stories, and obviously there's great stories, because, listen, the, the, the Bible doesn't stop here at Acts 1, right? We get more, thankfully, to see how God did that. But he's still doing these things. And so, Channing, come on up here, and I think you have a microphone. Is that true? He has a microphone. And I'll just ask him to come tonight and to just share some of the ways that God is still moving in these ways as, uh, as the gospel spreads to the ends of the earth. And so, Channing, come share some stories with us tonight. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Jerome. Helping me out here. <coughs> it's on, it's on yeah. I guess, right? Nope, flip it up. Oh, no battery. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> the battery died. Here, let me get that. Check one, two. Oh, there it is. Check one, two. Yeah, it's kind of going to short. You got another one? Let's try wheels. Check one, two, one, two. Microphone check. There you go, Shannon. And um, maybe you've heard the expression, a yeah. stuck record. Um, some of you may not be old enough Check. to know what a stuck record was, but it just plays the same song over and over again. I feel like for a very long time, I've been a stuck record in having a missionary mindset. And I'd like to sort of walk you through where I've been and what God has done to cement in my mind and heart the importance of missions, okay? So if you'll show the first picture there, Gerilyn, um, 
There's a handsome couple. My dad fought in World War II, and my mom, James, and Ruth. And I was uh, the third of eight, eight kids. Um, and so we moved from Louisiana to Oregon three times by the time I was 12, because my dad had seen the world, and he knew that it was bigger than Nebo, Louisiana. Okay, now go to the next one, please. I'm going to just kind of move along quickly. Not a great picture, but there's mom and dad, and behind, you see old Andy. That's a 1936 Ford ton-and-a-half truck. We dug that truck out of a creek. It had no wheels and the motor was broken. My dad's not a mechanic. My dad is a, a national wood carver champion, okay? And so how we got that thing up and running, I don't know. Uh, we had another vehicle my dad bought about the same time, and it never made it to the house. It quit before about 200 yards, so my dad was a mechanic. We drove that rig all the way to Alberta, Canada, okay? Loaded with everything we had, including two dogs. Plus, we had the other vehicle. But, all right, so go to the next picture. Now, there's an athlete, if I ever saw one. That's Fred DeVos. Our pastor put us in touch with Fred DeVos. Fred apparently turned down a college scholarship to go to Prairie Bible Institute in Alberta, Canada. And so Fred was a big influence in why we moved to Canada, because he had been there. He'd gone to school there, and he invited us to go up and take a look, and we did. And um, there's a connection. Two summers ago, we went back out to Oregon to see Fred. And this is a man who's been a pastor his whole life, and he has a passion for God. It was just so beautiful to be around he and his wife. They had a Japanese, uh, two or three Japanese girls in their home at that time that were exchange students. Still ministering. Okay, next picture. Um, Fred's wife was Priscilla, okay? She had three other sisters. One was Beth, that was Pearl's roommate. A third sister was Carol. Carol and Don Richardson are the authors of this book, Peace Child, okay? I'll just give you a thumbnail sketch. Go to the next picture, please. There's Don and Carol at age about 28. They went to the, the swamplands of Papua New Guinea, which is just north of Australia, to a group of Stone Age cannibals, okay, that built their houses 30, 40 feet up in trees. And when they heard of Christ and Judas, Judas was the hero. You need to read the story. I, I mean, if a telemarketer will give me two minutes, I'm going to tell him the story. Because today, the Sawi people are Christian. And they're missionaries, okay? Uh, go to the next picture. These are some of the individuals, right? I mean, they would literally, uh, they couldn't get a, a wife from their own tribe. They had to go to their enemy to get a tri uh, wife, knowing that they may not come back. And you might be guest of honor for two, for two, three years, thinking you're going home with a wife. You become supper, okay? And now these people love the Lord. Next picture, please. There's a phenomenal book called Lords of the Earth. This is one of my books. Don Richardson wrote it. Uh, next picture, please. It's at the same area. Stanley Dale was an Australian whose dad was an alcoholic and his mom was, she thought she was an actress, but she was never anything. And so at a, maybe about 18 or 20, he became a Christian. He was a short man. He had a, a complex. He didn't like anybody telling him what to do. He became a commando, and so he could tell people what to do. But God grabbed his heart, and he went to Papua New Guinea, to the Yali people, 
Go to the next picture, please. Not very clear, I'm sorry, but the, that's another group. And here's the neat, the, the mind-boggling thing. There are over 800 different languages just in Papua New Guinea. 800 unique uh, languages, I mean. There are over 50 mountain ranges, over 5,000 feet high. Most of the trails are vertical. There are no roads. And so Stanley Dale, you can go back to the other picture just for a second, Gerilyn. Stanley Dale marched right in to a battle between two tribes, walked up to the guy that he thought was the baddest dude there, and told him to stop. And eventually, they tore down their, their temples, which the men had. Women couldn't go in. But Stanley was killed. They said there were so many arrows in him that he looked like he was covered with reeds. And then they butchered him and Phil Masters, and they were going to eat them. But they didn't. You need to read the story. Because of a plane crash and a family of missionaries that died, except for one nine-year-old boy, the Yali people love the Lord today. Okay? Let's go on. Next picture. Uh, the people that wrote this, Alice and Don Gibbons, they were in Papua New Guinea for 40 years, raised five kids there, and they worked with the Damal people. And, and so they've been in our home here in Alverton. Uh, Don Richardson's son has been in our home here in Alverton. Carol's sister's been in our home. That's one neat thing about missionaries. If you can get them in your home with your kids, that's better than, you know, 7-Eleven, whatever. Next. Mm. And that's them when they were younger, okay? Um, keep going. Next picture, please. All right, now, hopefully in everybody's life, there's, there's a time when you need God to send somebody to you that you just can't explain how special they are. Now, by the way, I, I met my wife at the Bible college that we went to. And I've, I've jumped around a little bit, and I've lost track of my notes, so I can go back. Uh, at, at the school we were at, they had a missions conference every fall. They had a building that would seat 3,000 people. And they would come. They didn't have very many people had projectors. It was just mostly talking about what God was doing in the four corners of the earth. And it was phenomenal. And Pearl and I met there. And so we've had the same indoctrination, if you will, about missions. And it's glorious. Uh, we were part of prayer, a prayer team for every continent. You know, it was personal. But in, in the, the more recent past, Pearl and I both needed to have somebody in our life that we just knew God had brought them to us. And I'm not saying you folks aren't that. But enter... Bob and Esther McCauley. Now, Bob is the author of this book, uh, The Still Small Voice, A Journey in Listening. Bob and his brother Jim grew up on a farm in Indiana, southern Indiana. They live in, they live in Kokomo right now. Their father was a farmer and an alcoholic. They had grandparents and friends that were Christians. They became Christians at a, at a, as teenagers. They both determined that they were going to be the biggest farmers in Indiana. Crops, livestock, you name it. Side jobs, they started working for General Motors. Eventually, they both wound up with really good jobs at General Motors. Bob became a senior, senior engineer. He was a tool and die maker. 
independent of each other, God called them both to leave their careers and go to Africa. Go to the next picture, please. So this is, the, they're not real clear, I'm sorry, but this is Bob today and his wife Esther. Esther is his second wife. Bob's first wife, Pat, died after about 14 years on the mission field. They came home and she passed away. She wasn't well, okay? Bob is a man, I, I would just love for you to read the book. He is such a humble, quiet, gentle man. But he is such a man of God. And in the book, he tells story after story after story of God saying, are you listening to me? You know, I'm telling you, I'm here. Okay? And, and there's one story I tell that Bob told me, and it's in the book. Uh, he comes into this one mission station, and they've got an old Volkswagen van. And somebody has driven it over a stump. And they've... Uh, <laughs> pull the motor out. You guys know a Volkswagen van had the motor in the back. They said, can you fix it? They said, I'll give it a try. Three months later, he's had the holes bored out. He found a tap from new threads and a, a vice grip and a, a drill bit. And he's ready to put the bolts back in and secure it back to the, the van. The closest hardware store is 200 miles away. Okay? And all the bolts the threads are all metric and the threads that he just put in that that motor were standard threads guy drives in gets out of an old truck Bob crawls out from under the van needs some bolts right uh, yeah but they've got to be this long this big around and they cannot be metric they've got to be a standard thread goes to an old bucket here's three of them will that do you it's story after story after story God saying I'm not leaving you alone Okay, uh, let's go to the next. The next uh, this is Esther's story, okay? Esther, uh, his second wife, his first wife died. Esther was Ukrainian by birth, born in British Columbia. And she became a Christian when she was nine. Her family were loggers, and so she lived in logging camps. And God called her to be a missionary at age nine. But Esther, about that tall... Somewhere in there. She's not very big. But uh, her first husband was supposed to be a missionary, and he turned out to be a zero. Okay, I, have to, I, I don't know how else to say it. She was hurt so badly. But it turns out that they had met before, Bob and Esther, but their kids knew each other as teenagers. And so their kids pulled them together. Bob and Esther have been married for over 30 years. And... God restored to her her passion for missions. They got a, a message from somebody in Russia, St. Petersburg. They wanted if somebody would donate coats for their children for the winter. It was a young pastor. Over a seven-year seven period, Esther helped bring together ladies in the church and the community and fill 14 shipping containers. I think it was $1.3 million dollars. She made, um, I think, 29 trips there to make sure that the product got where it's supposed to go. But even more, in the wintertime there, the street children, they go down in the sewers to stay warm, to keep from freezing to death. Esther went right into the sewers and brought the kids out and found safe places for them. Okay? I have to tell you this. Uh, 
one of the ladies that became a Christian, her husband was a, an atheist, and they had a 22-year-old 20, son who came to the U.S. to find fame and fortune. They lost track of him. And so they came to Bob and Esther and said, can, can you help us find him? So they, they tried. They came and spent two or three weeks with Bob and Esther. They had to go back in a couple days. And uh, they were sitting there, and Bob said, and he was sitting right where you're sitting. And I said to him, we've tried everything else. Do you mind if I pray? He said, sure, go ahead. He said, when I finished praying, the phone rang, and it was his son. Okay? He was in jail in Florida. He had cut up his passport so they wouldn't kick him back to Russia. When, when the parents got back to Russia, the boy met him on the tarmac. So God, and not only that, this lady takes 17 Bibles and she's invited into the Kremlin. And she gives out 17 Bibles in the Kremlin. So you see why I say Bob and I, I mean, sorry Bob, <laughs> sorry Pearl, <laughs> I'm in trouble now. Uh, you see why we are so excited that God brought these people into our lives. They're just such a blessing. All right, next. Um, now, Bob had a brother, Jim. Jim's story is just as amazing as Bob's. He was a tinsmith and a farmer. He goes with Bob to, uh, to Liberia. First, they start a Bible school, and he teaches the people there how to raise pigs for protein and how to raise rice. Now, they raised rice dry land farming. And so there were a couple months every year they had no rice because there was no rain. But they had swamps. So Jim went in the swamps and planted rice. Now they have rice all the time. But God had called Jim to go to Swaziland. And he had a vision where God actually directed him. He had never heard of Swaziland. And he actually thought that Swaziland was Swazi or Swayze, which was a town about nine miles away. He went there and realized that's not where God wanted him. So eventually God got him to Liberia to help build this Bible college, but he was supposed to go to Swaziland, which is just north of South Africa, okay, in Africa. The day that he was to go to South Africa, to Swaziland, to fly out to, to Johannesburg, his son Mark had been running through the jungles on his motorbike, and he came across a devil society initiation, celebration, something. They came to his house, and they wanted the boy because he had probably seen a human sacrifice, you know. And, and, but anyway, they got the boy out of the country. At the same time, basically that same day, uh, Jim is on his way to Johannesburg. He, he sold his tools to buy the, the ticket. And uh, he sent Bob to buy the ticket. Well, a witch doctor tried to keep him from going there. And Bob was walking along, and this witch doctor came up, and he had a club, a big branch out of a tree. And he just swung it at Bob, and he said it just went over the top of him. And he swung at the other one, and it went over the top of him. He tried to bring it right down on his head, and it went on the one side. When Jim got to Johannesburg, he's going to Swaziland to this little mission that he's never been to, doesn't know how to get there, Right? So anyway, what happens is that uh, he's supposed to get on the flight from Johannesburg to the, town, the city in uh, Swaziland, and this young fellow steps in front of him. That's the last seat. So he now has to wait 24 hours. Well, he meets a couple. They take him home. They're Christian folk. 
And while they're going to work, another couple that are friends of theirs come to visit. And guess what they have in their possession? A map drawn by the two old ladies at the mission station on how to get to the mission station from Johannesburg. And then they gave him an old car that you could see the, the ground through the, uh, through the floorboard. And he drove there. So uh, it's just uh, having people and knowing people like this just is exhilarating to me. And so, uh, so there's Bob and Jim. And let's go to the next picture. Let's see what we've got. Uh, we may run out of pictures. I yep. think we've got a video. Jim died about a month ago. I never had the chance of meeting him. But listening to Jim is like listening to Bob. And so I picked a little clip out of his testimony. It's about two hours long on YouTube to hear what has happened there. And, and before, he won't tell you this in, in the video, but because of his ministry there, there are 40, over 42 churches that have been started and over 8,000 people have come to know the Lord because he left his farm in Indiana. Okay, can you hit that, uh, Gerald, please? I, uh, first year and a half I was there, to give you a little idea, I had a, about 1,500 services out in villages, many of them where the gospel had never gone before. <clears throat> and so I was out uh, preaching uh, at least three times a day. Uh, <clears throat> and um, I'd just take youth with me to interpret. And when they got out of school about <clears throat> two or three o'clock, uh, I'd take one of them or some of them out with me. And <clears throat> I was preaching. And uh, one day I'd been out, uh, I don't know, four or five meetings already on a Sunday. <clears throat> And come back, and the old, the old lady said, Jim, you going out preaching this afternoon? <clears throat> well, I was not going to say no. <clears throat> so the only other option was say yes. But I was very tired. Well, the first village we went at, <clears throat> I walked in, and behind a mud hut, <clears throat> there was a child laying there in rags. <clears throat> and... Um, like old burlap gunny sack over. I didn't know it was a boy or girl, but, uh, and green flies in the mouth, they're just laying there. And I said, well, what is the problem here? What's happening? They said, well, she's going to die and we're going to bury her. I said, well, what about um, on the mission there? There was a mission nurse. I mean, nothing, you know, like you think of a nurse here, but um, said, so why don't you take her at least to the mission? They said, well, no home, no way to bring home the dead body. Uh, and I asked various questions, and no, they were all sitting around drinking beer, and I, and uh, God gave me a father's love for that child as quick as you can snap your finger. And it wasn't because she had a cute smile or anything, she was just a Stinky, I mean, she was just a helpless child on the dying with, from malaria. And you don't recover from malaria unless of miracle or medicine, <clears throat> or both. But anyway, um, I, I went back and got that nurse and brought her down, and we doctored her. <clears throat> and then 
I went back the next morning with a little baby food. And uh, I would hold her and she could only eat a teaspoon at a time. And uh, <clears throat> so I thought, well, <clears throat> I will I will get her some candy. Try to excite her. She just had no life. She was... And I, I got her a cute little dress. Now I showed her the dress and gave her some candy and she got excited. And then I'd go back two times a day and feed her a tablespoon at a time and take a nurse. And, and I'd go back to the mission and I couldn't help. Uh, I'd weeping over a little girl. And finally, two men... <clears throat> went and they talked to the mother and said, Macaulay really loves the little girl and he'll take care of her. And she said, well, take her. So they brought her to the mission and they said, now, <clears throat> you love this girl, you raise her. <laughs> so I did. <clears throat> I feed her and doctor and <clears throat> she couldn't even walk yet, but took care of her. <clears throat> and uh, then she hadn't been in school ever and I hired another student, uh, a teacher, you know, this is your nose, this is your ear, this is your eyes. <laughs> and <clears> then <throat> I would teach her what I could. And uh, anyway, uh, she turned out to be number one student in the school. Uh, <clears throat> turned out to be really good on the track and running. And uh, she taught me, the little girl taught me 90% of the inside um, secrets of the Swazi people. And it was very necessary to be extremely productive with them, knowing what to do and what not to do. <clears throat> and she told me those things that are part of their culture that they won't tell anybody, but she told me. <clears throat> I never told them, I, she told me. <laughs> but anyway, uh, she helped me a lot and uh, I'll make a real long story short. I got her in nurse's training when she graduated, the highest student in every subject and there was. She was always number one. <clears throat> and I got her in as teacher, um, as a nurse's training in a, a school, and uh, she is now a double qualified nurse. Married to a fine Christian man as you would ever meet in your life anywhere in the world. And uh, <clears throat> along the way, uh, they were going to have a child and, uh, and the baby died the day before it was supposed to be born. Well, we <clears throat> buried that child sorrowfully. <clears throat> Later on, they're going to have another child. And that child died the day before it should have been born. And uh, <clears throat> I remember in the mud hut, one kerosene lamp burning, and we all had to say something. And I know Zenzeli and her husband stood up and said, we don't understand, but we don't blame God. That made it a whole lot easier for me to speak. <laughs> I'm next. But they never blame God, and why me, and why they just didn't. <clears throat> well, I spoke, and uh, and um, a long story shorter. Now they have two fine, 
healthy boys <clears throat> that have well up in school years. And, uh, but I learned from that that <clears throat> I never again thought about that I'm tired, really tired. I found out I would go preach <clears throat> as long as I could stand on my feet. And I've had up to 12 services a day in villages <clears throat> because people die every day. <clears throat> there were hundreds of villages where no one was ever carrying the gospel. And so I, I did my level best, but I learned a lot by, um, and I've um, preached to people that have died before I ever got home. Some of them I was able to lead to the Lord, and some of them I didn't. But I tried along the way. So that's a little bit of the background of Zenzele. But after all these years, she still writes and calls us and and her children want to see white grandfather. <laughs> Jaron, let's uh, first off let's give Shannon a thanks just for uh, sharing with us tonight. <laughs> Jaron, let's go back and uh, with those pictures there, just for, just for just for a moment, and let's skip to the missionary folks here. So, just notice just faces and people. Keep going. Keep going. There you go. What do you notice? Here's what you should notice. They're just regular people. They are just regular people. But God takes regular people and he does extraordinary things because just as he says here, that we will receive power to be witnesses. And guys, these folks are examples. And there are thousands of others that we could have put up. These are the ones that Channon knows, and we appreciate him sharing those stories. But you, as a regular person, have been called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ from here to the end of the earth until the end of the age. And God will equip you to do that. Rest in him, trust in him, lean in him, and go tell the world about Jesus. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And He stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus 
longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us. And I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.